0: It's Friday, January 19th, and even after the shooting was over, they didn't know what to do with the victims. We start here. The Justice Department gives a scathing report on first responders in Uvalde, Texas.
1: Trapped in a room with an active shooter for over an hour. We'll delve into the
0: most damning details. The Innocence Project usually defends people they think are
2: innocent. One of the investigators said the moment he met him, He thought Scott Peterson was guilty. The story of convicted murderer Scott Peterson takes a bizarre new turn. And if you were hoping
0: this would all end with a functional Gaza government, Benjamin Netanyahu says he doesn't even want that.
3: Prime Minister Netanyahu, in a speech in response to this, saying, no way.
0: How a two-state solution is driving the wedge deeper between the U.S. and Israel. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey.
1: Oh, my God, they're running. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, my God, it's not the gun. <laughs> you to, have you around to 715 Old Road, have a one vehicle.
0: 77 minutes. That's how long it took for first responders to breach a door and take down a gunman in a classroom with fourth graders. I'm in classroom 102. Please hurry. There's a lot of dead bodies. Please. 77 minutes of waiting during one of the most deadly school shootings in American history. It's been a year and a half, almost 20 months, since that fateful day in Uvalde, Texas. 19 students and two teachers were murdered at Robb Elementary. Since then, there have been investigations at the local and state level asking what those first responders were thinking, what their bosses were telling them.
2: There's compelling evidence that the law enforcement response to the attack at Robb Elementary was an abject failure and antithetical to everything we've learned over the last two decades since the Columbine massacre.
0: The children's parents have begged for answers, knowing that even if they'd never get their kids back, at least they could demand accountability. But yesterday, for the very first time, the federal government put out its own findings. The Department of Justice has now released a report detailing what it calls cascading failures of leadership on and even before that day. So let's go to ABC's Maria Villarreal, who spent a year going back and forth between her home and that small town of Uvalde. She was there yesterday as Attorney General Merrick Garland told this community, what was in this 600-page report. Maria, I mean, we've seen lots of different reports since that day in Uvalde describing what happened. What was different about this?
4: You know, I think any time something like this comes out for this community, it opens up those wounds once again. Um, There is no, obviously, for the parents or the families, there's no getting past what happened on that day in May of 2022, but I think there is a lot of validation that comes with this particular report. Because one, it's coming from the top law enforcement agency in the country, the Department of Justice. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you have, you know, Attorney General Merrick Garland coming into town and spending hours with these families on top of all of the details that came out in the report.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about some of those details. I mean, where, in the eyes of the Justice Department, where did these first responders fall short?
4: The sense we got from... A.G. Garland and, and the staff that came with him was that from the moment that the shooter walked in that door, there was a cascading amount of failures here.
1: Failures in leadership, in tactics, in communications, in training, and in preparedness.
4: From the moment he stepped in there, um, you know, within minutes, you had officers following behind him through the same door that the shooter went through and yet, for whatever reason, never engaged him.
1: As a result, 33 students and three of their teachers, many of whom have been shot, were trapped in a room with an active shooter for over an hour as law enforcement officials remained outside.
4: You had five other officers on the other side of the school, same thing, trying to get in the door and then retreating because two of them had received a hit from shrapnel. The biggest moment that, you know, A.G. Garland talked about was the moment that School District Police Chief Arredondo says we're not treating this anymore like an active shooter. This is a barricaded subject. And the reason why that's so meaningful is because you're no longer trying to engage him. You're trying to negotiate with him.
1: It meant that officials asked for and waited for additional responders and equipment instead of following generally accepted active shooter practice and moving toward the shooter with the resources they had.
4: There were systematic failures that also included the idea that you didn't have a command center that was set up. So who's making the decisions? Where is everybody meeting? Where is the intel
1: coming from? This lack of a command structure exacerbated by communication difficulties contributed to confusion among responders about who was in charge and how they could help.
4: One thing I did find interesting was during that press conference, we heard about misinformation. We knew of the, for example, the misinformation that was given by the Texas governor, where he said everybody went in and did a brave job. Um, But what we didn't know were were the very specific examples of local law enforcement, local city officials and even the school district putting out on their social media.
1: At 12.06 p.m., law enforcement posted on Facebook reassuring parents
4: that, quote, students and staff are safe in the buildings, close quote. And the reality was that didn't happen and that wasn't happening. And they never went back and corrected that misinformation. And that added to the chaos.
0: yeah And you mentioned the, you know, the people who are being shot there in that classroom as parents are trying to figure out why is no one going in there. Then you have the people who are injured, who do make it out somehow. And it sounds like there were even there was even confusion about how to deal with them.
4: You know, we are learning more of that confusion and that chaos to the point where we we heard a victim, for example, was taken out of the actual shooting location, put on a sidewalk and was never treated and then later died because they weren't quickly treated. Without appropriate precautions, victims who had already passed away were taken to the hospital in ambulances While children with bullet wounds were put on school buses without any medical attention. All of those failures on that day came out in this report.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about these parents. I mean, what has been the reaction of these parents that you know, you've know you spoken to? And you've spoken to some of them several times over the, over the last couple of years.
4: They were looking for, honestly, they were looking for backup. I think now the families are going to take this report and use it as they continue to fight for change um, in schools and change on a larger scale for gun reform.
1: I hope that the failures end today and that local officials do what
4: wasn't done that day, do right by the victims and survivors of Rob Elementary. After the attorney general finished up his press conference, the families did come out and Kimberly Rubio spoke. Rob Elementary began the day an 18-year-old wasn't allowed to purchase an AR-15. She still felt very frustrated knowing that these men and women had responded on that day and you know with training and everything never went in and her daughter didn't have that kind of training um, and she was an innocent victim um, we also spoke one-on-one with Veronica Mata who is the mother of Tess Mata who lost her life on that day what is the right thing in your mind and in the minds of the families that were just standing behind us
1: it's, man assault weapons.
4: it's a big ask it's a big ask but my daughter's life is is worth asking that.
0: Hey, la- lastly, Maria, is there a chance that the leaders, you know, these are first responders, these are members of law enforcement in some cases, are there is there a chance that any of these people would even face criminal charges as a result of what we're now seeing?
4: Our chief justice correspondent, uh, Pierre Thomas, said this. I'm going to steal this from him. He said there is no law out there that says... You should go to jail for not being brave Hmm. or for being incompetent, incompetent at your job. And so the real struggle here for families is to wait again, wait longer on the district attorney here locally and to see whether or not she will file criminal charges against anybody involved. Because ultimately it's in her hands. And as of right now, she's also trying to digest this report that's where we kind of stand with all of this. It's 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 still wait and see for these families. That said, I think they are to some extent resigned to the fact that charges may not be filed, uh, which is why they continue their fight on a different level.
0: Right. And again, just a scathing report here, and yet the question is, will we see? action, perhaps not at the federal level, but at least at least we've got a, a sense of where the federal government stands here. All right. Uh, Maria Villarreal there in Uvalde. Thank you so much.
4: Thanks again, Brad.
0: Next up on Start Here, none of their defendants are popular, but they've never signed a client this infamous. Alex Stone's got the scoop after the break. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So, no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, zocdo slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. Should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it: you can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit, no additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/start here today to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P.com/start here. You remember the name Scott Peterson?
4: Scott Peterson was arrested in 2003.
0: Scott Peterson, no longer on California's death row. If that name rings a bell and you can't quite place why, he was convicted of murdering his wife and unborn child in an infamous case. Lacey Peterson was last seen walking her dog about 10.30 on Christmas Eve morning. We
1: hold hope. We keep praying.
0: Lacey Peterson, who was eight months pregnant at the time, went missing right before Christmas in 2002.
3: He saw her at 9.30 in the morning before he went fishing
0: obviously regret now,
3: you know, I like could just decide
0: to stay home. She was later found dead on the shores of San Francisco Bay, and after extensive searches, prosecutors determined Scott Peterson, in the throes of an affair, had killed Lacey, sinking her body with a homemade concrete anchor. I can only hope
4: that the sound of Lacey's voice begging for her life and begging for the life of her unborn child is heard over and over and over again in the mind of that person every day for the
0: rest of his life. When the movie Gone Girl came out, many people said it bore a striking resemblance to this case. The guy who just looks more and more guilty the more you look into him. But in the case of Scott Peterson, a jury actually found him guilty. They said he did it. Well, yesterday, in a remarkable twist, ABC News learned that the Los Angeles Innocence Project, a chapter of the lauded National Pro Bono Legal Group, has taken on Peterson's case. ABC's Alex Stone broke this news exclusively. Alex, what? This is a guy who's serving life in prison. His case is seen as like this notorious example of a husband murdering his family in cold blood.
2: And this group thinks that he didn't do it well they say they're looking into it brad they don't know yet this filing is asking for all kinds of things from dna testing to be done to what kind of evidence police had and that there are different scenarios that they want to look at that he has claimed for many years and his family has claimed for many years that they say shows that he did not commit the crime but we heard from one of the jurors who was on the the jury and that juror saying he is guilty. Police have stood by saying he is guilty. Prosecutors have said that as well.
1: We the jury in the above entitled cause find the defendant Scott Lee Peterson guilty of the crime of murder of Lacey Denise
2: Peterson. He was tried and convicted. It was a long trial. I covered it. It was my start at ABC News back mm-hmm. in 2004.
1: Well, I took the day off to come down because I, I figured there'd be a verdict today.
2: The whole world was watching it at that time. It was one of those kinds of trials. And he was found guilty by that jury. And he's tried several times in the, the California courts to either get a new trial or get released from prison. Every time the courts have said, no, this is a new attempt. But to have the Innocence Project of L.A., that name behind it, right. that brings a lot of weight. And and they're saying they want to see the
0: evidence. Yeah, What are they examining? Because, I mean, you got your hands on this court filing that they made that, you know, no one else had seen until you. What are are they seeing that so many other people apparently haven't seen over the years this has been litigated
2: this is a big court filing it's about 800 pages all of the everything that they submitted to the the court we heard about these back during the trial and it was said that they had been investigated and ruled out. We have heard about them in every appeal that he has done and every attempt to get a new trial, which by the way, he was on death row at San Quentin until a couple of years ago when he went to court and said that there had been misconduct. The
0: court ruling potential jurors for the death
2: penalty phase were improperly
0: dismissed after saying they disagreed with the death penalty but would be willing to impose it.
2: So right now he's in, in prison without parole, but they are saying a couple of things. They say there is evidence that they want to look at involving a burglary that happened across the street from Scott and Lacey Peterson's home around the time of her disappearance, maybe even the same day, maybe even within hours. Police said they investigated it. They arrested a couple of guys for it, was not related to the disappearance of Lacey Peterson. They're not so sure. They want to see DNA from that scene. The other thing, there were some in the the neighborhood who say they saw somebody on a bicycle riding around around the time of her disappearance. They want to know what police found out there. Other witnesses claimed that people saw a 70s-looking van driving by the, the home several times. And then a couple of days, really only about a day later on Christmas Day, there was a burned-out van with blood in it found uh, near the modesto airport they want to know more about that did they dna test that blood whose van was that what was the deal with that van wasn't the same one in the neighborhood the innocence project is saying all of this raises questions that they feel police ignored or did not fully investigate or were so focused in on scott peterson as their suspect one of the investigators said the moment he met him he thought scott peterson was guilty
0: well alex like, like you said the weight of that the name The Innocence Project carries, right? Because this group usually takes on the cases of people who don't have the means to defend themselves, right? Or who never got the media spotlight that they might've needed to move the needle to get their case taken more seriously. Can they say the same about Scott Peterson? Like why them and why this guy?
2: Well, this is really interesting because they don't want to make any comment other than saying that they do now represent him and they're investigating his claims of actual innocence is how they put it, but they said they'll have no other comment He was a vilified character in the the country in 2004, 2005. Okay, first of all, I met Scott Peterson November 20th, 2002. He was seen as this evil guy who had been cheating on his wife, wanted her out of the picture to be with Amber Fry, with his mistress.
1: Scott told me he was not married.
2: We did have a romantic relationship. And then she found out that he was accused of killing his wife Uh, There was so much against him. Did your
1: wife find out
2: about it? I told my wife. When? um, Early December. They've got to know with the Innocence Project that this is going to be a controversial one no matter which way it goes. And there's a chance that the court is going to look at this and say, no way. It's going to be up to a judge to say okay, we're going to have a hearing on it, or no thank you that that we've tried this. He was convicted. There have been numerous hearings. The California Supreme Court has gotten involved in his case, and he has not been freed. He has not gotten a new trial, and we're done with it. Uh, Good chance, though, they're going to say, prosecutors, tell us what, what you want us to do and then maybe hold a hearing on it, and then we'll see where it goes.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, so so not a given that he gets a new trial or anything, but that clearly is what the Innocence Project will be looking for.
2: No, I mean, the court could say no way. Right. Yeah, the court could deny him.
0: All right, Alex Stone, they're in L.A. covering this case, what, 20 years later. Thank you so much.
2: You got it. Thanks, Brad.
0: Since the war in the Middle East began a few months ago the biggest concern for american officials was making sure this didn't turn into something wider because Israel's got lots of enemies. Militant groups across the region have allegiances to various countries, so it wouldn't take a lot for nations to be forced to respond to attacks, which then incur more attacks and then spiral out of control. Well, in the last 24 hours, the U.S. has launched new strikes against Houthi rebels in Yemen, Pakistan has responded to strikes from Iran, and Israel's leader says he doesn't think Palestinians should ever have a government of their own in Gaza. How's that for keeping everything simple? Let's go to ABC's foreign correspondent, Patrick Rievel, who's in Tel Aviv in Israel right now. Patrick, first of all, can you explain these U.S. attacks on the Houthis to me? Because we hit like dozens of targets a couple weeks ago, right? That, that was supposed to cripple them. Why are we striking them again?
3: Yeah, hi, Brad. I mean, this is actually the fifth round of strikes that we've just seen against the Houthis by the U.S., Um, And this time, the Pentagon is saying that they were destroying Houthi missiles on the launches.
4: These missiles on launch rails presented an imminent threat to merchant vessels and U.S. Navy ships in the region and could have been fired at any time.
3: Despite these pretty significant, pretty broad strikes that we've seen involving now dozens of cruise missiles and airstrikes by the U.S., the Houthis are still able to launch missiles At ships in the Red Sea.
4: The US and the international community call on the Houthis to cease their unlawful attacks on commercial shipping vessels.
3: And since the strikes, we've seen the Houthis successfully strike at least one American operated and owned cargo ship. And frankly, the Houthis are making clear that they have no intention of stopping for now. Um, the leader of the Houthis has said that this is actually a great blessing from God that they are now in a confrontation with the U.S. We've said from the outset that we did not think that the attacks would stop after our first military strike, that we would have to take further action. You have seen us take further action and we're committed to to, to continuing to do so. The other thing is that many experts believe and, and worry that the U.S. to a certain extent may even be kind of playing into the hands of Iran and the Houthis who right now want to bring the U.S. more and more into this confrontation Mm. and to pull Israel and the U.S. deeper and deeper into this confrontation, but still stopping short of a full-scale war because it saps the U.S. and Israel's global influence. And just it's sort of death by a thousand cuts is the kind of strategy that that's what we're hearing from from most experts when they look at this. And frankly, if there's one thing we can say, we are not further away from a regional war than we were a few days ago. Well, and then, I mean, if we're talking about you know, strikes against militant groups who
0: are also kind of representing countries, but kind of not. Iran itself, the Iranian government, admitted to firing missiles at Pakistan. Now Pakistan is firing missiles back at Iran. I mean, how bad could this get?
3: Yeah, I think this caught many people by surprise. Even close watchers of the region, I think, were very surprised to hear that Pakistan was now involved in this widening conflict. And simply, Iran fired a number of missiles into Pakistan, targeting what it said were militant groups who it blamed for a terror attack, a very deadly terror attack, a few weeks ago in Iran. And Pakistan has responded um, by firing its own missiles into southern Iran in the border, again saying it is targeting separatist groups inside Iran.
4: Pakistan undertook a series of highly coordinated and specifically targeted precision military strikes Against terrorist hideouts.
3: And both sides saying basically they're not targeting each other, but targeting militant groups. But obviously. It's okay if you're just targeting terrorists in the other country, but you're still firing
0: into the other country.
3: Yeah, well, yes. Although at the same time, Pakistan very much said this is not okay. This is absolutely not okay. It's a clear violation of international law. But ultimately, Pakistan in particular, but also Iran, both sides have said we don't want this to escalate. We'd like to de escalate it now. And so there's just part of this, frankly, extraordinary exchange of missiles that we're seeing in the Middle East right now, where Mm. everyone is essentially communicating with missiles, but still staying below the level of a full-scale war. But of course, as that obviously sounds, it's extremely dangerous. Hey, and let's
0: talk about one other thing with Israel that's happened in the last 24 hours. And this might be confusing to a lot of Americans, because we always hear about this idea of a two-state solution, right? Because currently, we talk about Israel, the country, and then we talk about the Palestinians, we, d- we rarely say Palestine because it's not recognized by the U.S. as a country of Palestine with a recognized government, even if they're represented the United Nations. That's not how the U.S. sees it, right? And yet we always talk about the day when Gaza might be, you know, just another one of these countries. Now Benjamin Netanyahu saying he doesn't see himself ever recognizing Gaza as its own country. I mean, is that the death of the two-state
3: solution as we know
0: it? What's going on?
3: So I don't think this is the death of the two-state solution But I think the comments we've heard from Benjamin Netanyahu are very, very significant.
2: I tell this truth to our American friends, and I also stop the attempt to impose a reality on us that would harm
3: Israel's security. Basically, they're significant because the U.S. in the last week, and frankly, for the last several weeks, but particularly in the last week, has been pushing alongside key Arab states to try and put forward something that's like the general outline of a possible peace plan. And it would see Saudi Arabia normalize relations with Israel in exchange for Israel promising to take concrete steps towards a Palestinian state. Mm -hmm. And this is the US's sort of grand vision for how to not only end this war, but to bring something good out of it and finally end this Palestinian-Israeli conflict that has just plagued the world for so long. But the problem is we've heard directly from Prime Minister Netanyahu, in a speech in response to this, saying, no way. Saying, I don't want to do this, I won't do this.
2: In any future arrangement, settlement or
3: no settlement,
2: Israel needs security control over all territory west of the Jordan.
3: And that means it's impossible, really, for there to be a full-scale Palestinian state in in that case. And so what we're seeing here, really, is a growing, very severe gap between what the US increasingly wants after this war and what Benjamin Netanyahu wants. But it matters because it also suggests how the current Israeli government sees the war and how the US sees it. And the current Israeli government wants to keep going, wants to keep going for months more. It doesn't really care ultimately if there continue to be large numbers of civilian deaths. Their main goal is to destroy Hamas and to get their hostages back. And the U.S. government, on the other hand, wants them to start wrapping this up because it's inflicting enormous damage on the U.S. standing in the world and Israel standing in the world. And so we're increasingly seeing this confrontation. And so the big question now is, what is the Biden administration going to do when it has a partner like Benjamin Netanyahu, who does not want to compromise with the U.S. and seems to have fundamentally different views on how this war should go and what should come after And I should
0: mention Israel and Hamas actually struck a deal to send medicines to these Israeli hostages. And under the terms of the supply run for every one box that goes to the hostages, a thousand boxes of medicine go to the broader Palestinian population, which is just a reminder of how many lives hang in the balance in all this. Patrick Rievel there in Tel Aviv. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brad one more quick break. When we come back, you think that line at your gas station is long? Try one where the fill-ups take an hour. One last thing is
1: next. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer.
3: And
0: one last thing, for a lot of Americans, the snow drought is over. This week, several regions saw their first snow in a year for New York and Washington. It was the first snowfall in multiple years. Well, think about what's happened between then and now. Lots of drivers bought their first electric cars, which this week led to scenes like this.
1: We caught up with many who say they were looking to get to a charging
4: station. When they got to this one at 95th and Western in Evergreen Park, the stations weren't working.
0: Remember, electric cars don't charge instantaneously. Even a Tesla supercharger takes an hour to go from zero to 100 percent and in cold weather it can be a lot slower than that and you can look around here every single car is a tesla car full with the tesla cars this whole parking lot when temperatures go way below freezing like what we saw in the midwest A few things happen. One is chargers don't work as well. Batteries don't hold the charge as well. Plus, your car uses more energy to run all of its
1: systems. And we're waiting, waiting, waiting for over an hour. And it's unfortunate that all these cars are sitting just dead in the spots. So
0: in Chicago, people recently found themselves close to empty only to drive up to superchargers with huge lines of cars taking hours at a time to get full. After a while, some people had to abandon their cars in line rather than be stranded in sub-zero
1: temps. I think just someone needs to come out here and make sure everything's okay, because it's not okay.
0: Car experts said this should not tell you electric cars don't work or that they're a bad investment. What it does tell you is that just like with every other emerging technology, we are still working out the kinks. Like, for a hundred years, you had to heat up your gas engine for a while for it to work in cold weather until we finally replaced carburetors with fuel injection systems. That's a recent development. Batteries are advancing at a much faster rate. We're just in this weird transition moment.
4: We think these are isolated incidents, but we are looking into them and seeing where we can
0: make an impact. In fact, the Biden White House was asked this week whether these crazy stories mean more chargers need to be made available. Smash cut to this morning, the administration is out with a new plan to build more charging stations. Stuff is happening. Tesla has actually created a tip sheet for winter driving, which includes stuff I would never have thought of. For instance, just the act of warming up the battery in the morning uses a significant amount of battery power. So, they got this feature called scheduled departure where, while you're waking up, it'll be pre-warming the battery while the car's still plugged in. But then there's a stuff that just seems unnecessary. Tesla designed these really sleek door handles that actually fold into the car body itself, Well then when there's a layer of ice on the car, guess what? You can't pull the door handle anymore. There's nothing to grab onto. And as the snow remains on the ground, it's a good reminder, while cars are smarter than ever, mother nature will outsmart you if you're not careful. Shout out to friend of the pod and producer sister, Kristen Torres, who's apparently one of these people who are driving around this week desperately realizing, oh no, all the public chargers are full. I gotta get home because when it's freezing and your car's running out of juice you stop thinking about the gadgetry real quick Start Here is produced by Kelly Therese Jen Newman Brenda Salinas Baker Vika Aronson Cameron Chertavian Anthony Ali Mara Milwaukee and Tara Gimble Ariel Chester is our social media producer Josh Cohan is director of podcast programming I'm our managing editor Laura Mayers our executive producer thanks to Lakia Brown John Newman and Liz Alessi special thanks this week to Greg Croft Ben Sue, Hannah Damase Sue and Kim really the whole whole ABC team who kept us warm and informed in Iowa. Much more to come from the political trail here in New Hampshire. I'm Brad Milkey. See you next week.